This podcast is brought to you by the American Enterprise Institute. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, review, and share. Thanks for listening. Here's our show. What in the hell's going on? What the hell is going on? What the hell is going on? I don't know what the hell he's talking about. You don't have to know what the hell is on it. What the hell's the matter with these guys? We don't know what's going on. What the hell's going on? Who in God's name knows what it's all about? Hi, I'm Danielle Pletka. And I'm Mark Thiessen. Welcome to our podcast, What the Hell is Going On?, Mark, you're trapped in Detroit. What the hell is actually going on? <laughs> Getting in and out of uh, Des Moines, Iowa was quite an adventure. It's been a long time since I've experienced minus 17 degrees. <laughs> but that's oh what God. it was like when I arrived in, uh, in Des Moines, Iowa on Sunday. I was fortunate to have missed the polar vortex, which sent, you know, the wind chill brought it down to like minus 35 or something like that. So I missed that part. It wasn't that windy or snowy. The snow had already fallen. But holy Toledo, that was a... Uh, that was it. That was the coldest, uh, one of the coldest places I've ever been outside of Manchuria in China. <laughs> All I can say is, I believe it's Holy Des Moines, you meant to say. That is exactly so, right. <laughs> 15% of Iowans, probably who live very near their polling places, <laughs> one of the smallest turnouts in, in, in recent history uh, yeah. in Iowa, turned out for their caucuses. And the predictions for how this race was going to come down were mostly wrong. So if I was reading all of the all of the expert commentary beforehand and I was watching the momentum in the polls and I was listening to the candidates themselves, I was going to say that Donald Trump comes in first well under 50%, Nikki Haley surges into second, and Ron DeSantis lags behind. And uh, that's not what happened at all. Well, this is why you're a foreign policy analyst. <laughs> <laughs> I said if I read the experts, but you're right. So let, let's give Donald Trump his due. It was a record-breaking uh, performance. He had a commanding victory. He won. You know, one of the narratives against Trump is that, yeah, yeah, he's leading against a divided field, but a majority of, of voters want somebody else. And no, 51, he won 51 percent narrowly. Mm -hmm. Um, on, the, on the other hand, that means 49% of Republicans wanted somebody else. Um, but, you know, this is, you know, we've always heard that uh, Trump voters would walk across hot coals to vote for him while they uh, trudge through the frigid tundra to vote for him uh, in Iowa. And it, it, it shouldn't be a surprise that he won. Uh, because, you know, if you think about the three years since he left office, you you know, his diehard supporters watched as he faced, you know, another impeachment, 91 federal, state and local indictments, all this raft of civil lawsuits, efforts in, you know, Colorado and Maine and other states to throw him off the ballot using the 14th Amendment. And there was a pent up desire to show their support. And this was the first chance they had to do it. And they they did it decisively. He had a, a decisive victory. But as you pointed out, um, the, the the turnout was, I'll give you the exact number, 110,298 Iowa Republicans. That's un under 15%. Iowa has 752,000 registered Republicans. So 15% and half of those voted for Trump. So that's 7.48% of the Iowa GOP electorate. Um, do they get to decide the GOP nomination? Is it over or do we still have a race? I mean, I think that's the question in everybody's minds. And that's why, you know, that's why when we talk to our guest, we end up talking a lot about New Hampshire. I mean, New Hampshire is going to come hard on the heels of Iowa. It's a very different state. The thing of it is, you know, I... I I saw some interesting commentary, and we didn't talk at all about this with Sean, our guest. But first of all, the media is in the tank for Donald Trump once again. Now, why is the media in the tank for Donald Trump? Obvious reasons, because Donald Trump is the only candidate among the Republicans who Joe Biden has a chance in hell of, of defeating. And that's what they want. That's what, And we'll see what the American people want. But as a result, we're going to get a drumbeat of endless, endless, endless Trump coverage out of the mainstream media. Second thing, it was, what, two minutes into the, the caucuses when the Associated Press called it for Trump. Their own rules, so this is the Associated Press's own rules, say that 
the polls need to be closed and that nobody must be remaining that wishes to vote. And now that was clearly not the case. Obviously, they got it right. Obviously, it was clear Donald Trump was going to win. But why did they make that decision, followed hard on the heels by the New York Times and by other network TV? Why did they make that decision? Again, because that's what they want. They want Donald Trump to win. Do you think that's a bad theory of the game? And do you think that their decision, what do you think their decision means? Um, I, I think that's fair. Um, I think that once every once the AP called it, everybody had to had to make the call or you would be sitting out in the cold. And, you know, the only people who hadn't called it. If you think look back to the 2022 midterms, the Democrats spent tens of millions of dollars trying to launching attack ads against the most MAGA candidates in the race in order to boost them with Repub- in Republican primaries so they'd have easier time beating them. And they did that in state after state, and it worked. They got a bunch of MAGA candidates nominated who were unelectable, and those people all went down. And so that's the theory of the presidential campaign as well for the left. And, you know, that's, I think, you know, you've got, you know, 91 indictments against Donald Trump at the federal, state, and local level. I mean, you know, the Unabomber had eight I think Charles Manson had like 10. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it, it's kind of overkill. I mean, he's, you know, the, and, you know, they're, they're the, the Republican electorate um, is rallying around Trump, uh, understandably, to some extent. And it's hard to make the case. Well, it is. I mean, it's hard to make the case to people. That, and especially so you have that happening at the same time that you have a bunch of polls showing that Donald Trump can win. So the case, the case against him was, yeah, I know they're treating him unfairly. They're using anti-democratic means in order to deny you the right to vote for your candidate and to, and to go after him. And yeah, it's just more of the same from the, from the Mueller probe and the Russia collusion conspiracy theory and the first impeachment. And they've just nonstop been attacking him. And I get all that. But do you really want Joe Biden to win? Because Trump loses to Joe Biden. And then you have a bunch of, and that's the argument against him. So like, you know, are you going to go with your heart or are you going to go with your head? And most people in generally go with their hearts, but then you look at the polls and he's beating Biden. And so they say, yeah, well, why can't, you know, Trump is going to beat Biden. So why shouldn't I vote for him? And, you know, the, the reality is, I think that the Democrats are panicking that, that Trump could win. I think Republicans should be more afraid that Trump could lose because Joe Biden is the most unpopular president in the history of presidential polling. And yet in the RCP average, real clear politics average, Trump is up by 1.2 points, which is a statistical tie. And it's going to get tighter as you get closer to November. And the next year is going to be, he's going to be talking about his trials and he's going to be talking about, uh, you know, E. Jean Carroll. And he's going to be talking about, uh, you know, why- you know, the why election. And, you know, Trump actually, it's interesting, Trump actually benefits right now from the fact that he's been in the basement for three years. He's been off the, you know, people haven't been looking at him every day. They haven't been covering him wall to wall. And he's going to emerge and people are going to be reminded, the swing voters are going to be reminded why, why they voted against him in 2020. And it's going to get tighter. So he's the candidate least likely to win, but it doesn't seem that way right now. And so he's got sort of the perfect mix of, Outrage at his treatment and confidence that he could win this election, and it's a—I I think it's a rope-a-dope. Well, I mean, I think you're right that in January of 2024, it looks like a rope-a-dope. But I mean, there are so many extraneous factors here yeah. that need to be considered. We need to consider—you know—we need to consider the health. Of these two elderly individuals, I think I'm allowed to call somebody 77 uh, elderly, despite the fact that I'm rapidly creeping up there myself. Um, and so are you, Mark Thiessen. Happy birthday. I'm but, in my 50s. Yeah. <laughs> Not too long. But, but, you know, look, this is the reality is that Trump has been in, in his basement over the last three years, we focused entirely on Joe Biden. Joe, there was a poll yesterday that had Joe Biden at his lowest ever popularity, 33%. We're, we're getting into Macron territory here. Uh, and this is disastrous for Biden. I also worry a great deal what the Biden administration is going to do in response to this in order to boost their own popularity. 
Because, of course, where Biden is hurting the most is on his far left, whether he's being hurt for his support for Israel, whether he's being hurt because suddenly he's starting maybe possibly to think about, talk about, maybe, maybe somehow doing something about the border. Those are the things where he is is being hurt on his far left. And if he starts to pander to his far left, oh, my good God. Yeah, and that opens a pathway for a third party. Um, <laughs> into some well, let's talk about that for a sec. Am I wrong? Maybe I wasn't paying attention to, to the news as much as I usually do because I was in Australia where there is no news. Uh, and uh, <laughs> at least no big news. And it seems to me like all of the, the third party talk has kind of faded out. Is I, that just me? I think it's just you. So here, here's the thing. The third party thing is waiting on the results of the GOP primaries, right? So the new, No Labels has said that they will not run a, a ticket unless Donald Trump is the nominee and Joe Biden are the nominees, right? Um, and so they're waiting to see what happens in these primaries. They've been doing the quiet groundwork of getting onto the ballots uh, in all 50 states. And I think that they're going to have ballot access in every state in the country, um, which Robert F. Kennedy Jr. does will not have, and neither will some of the other smaller third-party candidates have. Um, so there's a potential for, if Trump gets the nomination, for a serious third-party ticket. And it would be one, I think, that uh, I think it's a, you know, I don't, it, a third party has never won uh, in this country. The closest uh, they came was Teddy Roosevelt back in the early, uh, early uh, 1900s. But Ross Perot only got 20% of the vote. You know, his ceiling in polling was uh, like, I want to say 39%. No labels as polling shows that their ceiling is about 60% that would be open to a third party candidate. And so you think about it. Seven in 10, eight in 10 Americans say they don't want a Trump-Biden rematch. If you're a Democrat and you, you don't want Biden to be your nominee, you're not going to vote for Trump. And if you're a Republican and you uh, and you don't want Trump to be your nominee, you're not going to vote for Biden, most of most of them. And so you got nowhere, no safe harbor, nowhere to go. And if No Labels puts together a serious ticket, it's a safe harbor for a lot of people to say, you know, well, here's a, here's a reasonable ticket. I think their polling shows that they do better with a Republican at the top of the ticket um, in the swing states. Um, so uh, you, it may not be Manchin on the top of the ticket. It might be he might be the bottom of the ticket. It could be some uh, Republican. Um, so it's a it's a real possibility. We should do a whole pot on this at some point because we're really here to talk about Iowa and the because Repo the Republican primary isn't over yet. So I think we're jumping the gun a little bit. But I think it's I think it's it's there and it's serious and it could happen. That's true. We still do have a Republican primary. So what do you have to say about that, Mark? Well, I don't think it's over yet. Uh, there's a, the Trump people are going. Wait, wait, the fat lady hasn't sung? The fat lady has not sung. But, you know, the Trump people are going around saying it's over. We got to stop wasting money on this. We got to consolidate. No, it's not over yet. So it's very narrow. You know, it's sort of like in a hockey game. It's five nothing in the third period. You got to score five goals. You got to play a perfect period to win, but it can be done. It's not out of the range of it. So let's let's talk about the paths for Haley and for DeSantis. Haley, I think she she didn't really put her bet on on Iowa. Uh, she bet her bet on. No, New she Hampshire. didn't even campaign there till last month. Yeah, she. I mean, but she spent some money. I mean, she 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 saw that she was surging a little bit and thought she could get second, so she put some money in towards the end. But look, look. A, a surprise second place would have been given her a boost, but New Hampshire is her do or die state. So there's a CNN University of New Hampshire poll showing her trailing by just seven percentage points. That's within striking distance. Chris Christie got out. He had about 11 percent of the vote. So, I mean, his voters are going to probably go to her. Ramaswamy getting out helps Trump. He, he had about five percent in, in New Hampshire. So that helps Trump. Um, you know, DeSantis staying in actually kind of helps Haley because his voters, I think, probably would have picked Trump over Haley, a lot of them. Um, so, you know, if she's got a shot. Um, and if she could win New Hampshire, have an upset, then she, you know, have a David versus Goliath win in New Hampshire. Then she goes to South Carolina, which is her home state with some momentum. Trump's a little bit injured. He's, he's bleeding over the eye. Um, and maybe she can pull off an upset there. And then, then she, you know, if she does that, 
you know, unlikely but possible than Super Tuesday. I mean, look at the states you got. California, Colorado, Maine, Massachusetts, Minnesota, Vermont, Virginia. Those are states where Haley could be competitive if she's seen as viable. So it's a long shot, maybe a triple bank shot, but it's not impossible. I already mentioned that CNN poll. All of Haley's supporters repeatedly mentioned that CNN poll. But let me just tell folks what the polling looks like since that CNN poll. So that was between January 4th and 8th. There's a St. Anselm poll between the 8th and the 9th that has Trump at 45, Haley at 31, Christie at 9, Ramaswamy at 6. DeSantis is still number 5. An Emerson poll between January 8th and 10th that has Trump at 44 and Haley at 28. There's a Suffolk poll on between January 15th and 16th. So that's the most recent poll we've seen that's not post-Iowa. That has Trump at 50 and Haley at 34. The RCP average is that Trump is at 44.5, Haley's at 31.3. That's plus 13 points. Suffice it to say, long story short or short story long, I hope you're right, Mark, and that all of the momentum going in for her, a very different state from Iowa into New Hampshire, means that it's going to look more like CNN and less like the RCP average. But, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there's a certain straw-clutching element to our conversation. It's, it's an upset. It would be an upset if she did it. Uh, it's possible to pull it off, but it's unlikely. Um, so let's say she doesn't pull it off. Uh, let's say she loses New Hampshire, comes in a distant second, and then loses South Carolina. At that point, she's finished, right? And DeSantis, who has not gotten out of the race, he's gotten a narrow path forward because if she gets out of the race after after losing those two states, he's Ted Cruz. He's the only guy left. You try try this theory out. You you try this theory out in our interview with our guest, and uh, I would point out that there's a reason that Ted Cruz is awesome. Ted Cruz, <laughs> Ted Cruz, yeah. and not President Ted Cruz. So yeah, That's I mean, I true. think that but I mean, I think I'm just saying, what is the path? What's the possibility, right? Right. You know, because everyone's saying DeSantis has no path. Well, no, he does have a path. It's an unlikely path, but he has it. If he's the last man standing, and then he goes into Super Tuesday, he gets the mano a mano race that he wanted against Trump. He inherits all the non-Trump vote, and the Republicans who want somebody other than Trump rally around him. Like they rallied around Cruz. It didn't work for Cruz, but maybe DeSantis can complete the Hail Mary pass and he'd be positioned there to inherit the nomination if there was some legal development that made Trump unviable or something. You know what, Mark? You know, that's that that's his that's his path. It's an unlikely path, but it's it it exists. Um, and, uh, you know, it's that I think that's his strategy at this point to be to inherit, inherit the empty field. Maybe it is. On the other hand. He'll still be Ron DeSantis, which has actually been his fatal flaw throughout this election process. I mean, I've gone from being a Ron DeSantis supporter to being a not Ron DeSantis supporter, and that is purely his fine work as a candidate. And I think a lot of the American people are with me, but we'll see. Hey, well, that's dude, because you care, you're voting on Ukraine. <laughs> and you're, I'm not and, just and, voting on Ukraine. And, that's and that's a very small segment of the electorate. And I'm with you on that. I'm, I, I, I'm disappointed by what and he said. He's on that. also run a terrible campaign, Mark, yeah. is the bottom line. And he's yeah. not a very likable candidate, all of which are problems. Ukraine is not his number one problem, I agree, but he's got other big problems that, that, that other yeah. people perceive. All right. Do we have a guest or not? Can I go? We can I introduce We do have a guest, and we got a great guest. We do actually have a great guest. Everybody knows, uh, and he's been with us before, Sean Trendy. He's a non-resident fellow, of course, at the American Enterprise Institute. He works on elections, political trends, voting patterns, and that sort of stuff. But he is also the senior elections analyst for Real Clear Politics. And everybody knows RCP because during an election year, it's the website where you're hitting refresh, 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 refresh to see the new polls, to see if something has changed for your preferred candidate. Here's a pro tip. It hasn't. (laughs) (laughs) Here's our interview. Sean, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's so great to have you. So, you know, I just came back from Iowa. You are the uh, one of the premier political analysts. What's your takeaway from the Iowa caucuses this year? I mean, it's not what I really want it to be, but my takeaway is that this thing is pretty much done. Um, 
you okay. know, there, there's Thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Mark Thiessen. This is Danielle Pletka. Thanks for listening. <laughs> uh, you know what, what the, I don't know if never Trump is the right term, because I think most true never Trumpers are basically Democrats at this point. But what the kind of wanted Trump alternative folks really needed was Trump to end up underneath 50 percent and Nikki Haley to be in second. And neither of those things happened. So in kind of making it even worse, Vivek Ramaswamy, who isn't taking a huge vote share, but he's almost certainly taking them mostly out of Trump you know, dropped out and endorsed Trump. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's tough to see the Trump alternatives path to the nomination, but if one exists, we're going to find out in a few, uh, in in a week or so in New Hampshire. Let me push back on that for a sec though. If, if DeSantis had come in third, he'd be done, right? Right. And so where would his vote go in New Hampshire? Probably the Trump, right? Well, the polls show he's kind of splitting it. But the question is, would DeSantis have gone ahead and stay? And the reason Haley really needed to be second was just from a momentum standpoint. You know, she takes that into New Hampshire and she's positioned as a viable Trump alternative. I think she still probably is seen that way, but it's just she kind of needs everything to go right for her. Yep. Okay, so uh, nothing has gone right for her. Uh, Things really, to be fair, (laughs) coming in second you know, might have might have saved Ron DeSantis, but it didn't make clear that he's going to be the nominee in any sense. So what happened? Uh, you know, Sean, the one thing we talk about all the time. OK, yes, I get it. It was really cold in Iowa. Yes, <laughs> I, I understand <laughs> that that only 15 percent of Iowans turned out, which is really pathetic. Yes, I know. I know. Iowa has not given us a Republican president in more than three terms. Okay, fair enough. I get it. But polls keep telling me that the majority of Americans don't want Donald Trump. Is it just the primary process or are the polls lying and actually the majority of voting Americans want Donald Trump? Well, a plurality do want Donald Trump which is, I'll I'll play my cards, that kind of blows my mind. But, you know, we should at some point come back to the fact that he's polling better in general election head-to-heads than he has in eight years. But putting that aside, the bottom line and the problem that people wanting a Trump alternative had all along is that Donald Trump is popular among Republicans, And it's hard to convince people to go for an alternative and unknown when they have someone that for whatever reason they like right in front of them. I think there were lines that people could have taken. I think DeSantis could have positioned himself a little better. But frankly, I think as soon as the indictments came down, you know, the thing there was a rally around the Trump effect and it just became really, really difficult uh, for an alternative to emerge. So let's, let's talk about the narrow paths for DeSantis or for Haley. Let's start with Haley. So, you know, there's polls showing her within striking distance in New Hampshire. I mean, if she could pull off an upset in New Hampshire and then go into South Carolina with a head of steam, I mean, what what, what is the narrow path for Haley to, to win this thing? Well, that's really it. She has to win New Hampshire. You know, maybe come in a very close second, uh, like, you know, a point or two behind Trump. But for all, I, I think she has to win. And, you know, that does perhaps give her a head of steam coming into her home state. And then she'd probably have to win that as well. So if that were to happen, you know, Trump is wounded. We can start talking about how the future states line up for her. And I think that's about it. I I, I don't really see the path for DeSantis. I just don't see it. How about uh, he's the last he follows the Ted Cruz strategy. So, you know, he waits for Haley to play herself out. She she loses New Hampshire, loses in South Carolina. He does okay. She bows out, and then he's Ted Cruz, and he's the only alternative. So all the Trump anti-Trump vote comes to him. Is that is that a viable possibility? The problem is he positioned himself as Ted Cruz, um, which isn't really where he needed to be. You know, I just I, I think a lot of Haley supporters at this point, given how DeSantis has played the race, are going to look at Trump and and. DeSantis and kind of be like, some of them will be like anyone but Trump, fine, DeSantis. But some of them are going to be like, I don't see the difference. Like, I'll just vote Democrat. And that's what makes it tough for him. 
Right. So, okay. <laughs> we very quickly got off the, what is the narrow path to, <laughs> there's, there's just a cliff at the end of that path or an oncoming train or something terrible. So for me, the question, there's a chance. So we, <laughs> I, I think one of the things that really, the, that really gave people who think Nikki Haley is a, a good choice, um, a return to normalcy, if you will, um, was that CNN poll that put her just seven points back, which is obviously the closest that anyone has run to Donald Trump anywhere. But then she has South Carolina. Is it meaningful that her own lieutenant governor, who is now the governor of the state, endorsed Trump? And basically every other South Carolina Republican endorsed Trump, or if she comes within striking distance in New Hampshire, does that mean that her path still remains narrow, but not leading to the DeSantis cliff? (laughs) (laughs) So assuming she were to win New Hampshire, you know, she goes into South Carolina and... Or come come close in New Hampshire, let's let's say. say come close, you know, so... Right. The the polling for her in South Carolina has not been good. It's looked a lot like the polling in Iowa. So what you would really need, we we don't know, you know, we haven't had post-Christie polling. South Carolina's lightly polled. And maybe if she wins New Hampshire, people start to see her as viable and, and, you know, people come home, remember what she was like as governor and so forth. You know, if she doesn't win South Carolina, I think it's basically over, right? You can't lose your home state uh, in an early primary and become the nominee. Um, it would sap whatever momentum she gets out of New Hampshire. So that's really the path, is that she wins New Hampshire, comes in a close second. People in South Carolina take a second look now that she looks viable and she wins that state. Uh, but I think that that is a tough road to hoe. Let's assume that coming out of South Carolina, there's still somebody standing, either either Nikki Haley or, or Ron DeSantis. How does Super Tuesday look for each of those candidates? If the scenario you laid out for Haley, she wins New Hampshire, wins South Carolina, and now she's going into Super Tuesday, what does that look like for her? Or alternatively, she loses both and Ron DeSantis is the only alternative in the Ted Cruz position. What does Super Tuesday look like for him? Yeah. So again, I'm just not a believer in DeSantis. I, I, I'm not entirely sure what his path would look like at all. You know, for Haley, look, if Haley wins New Hampshire and then she wins South Carolina, I, I think it's, it all bets are off. I genuinely do, um, because that would mean that she won in a state, you know, kind of a lot of northern libertarian types, which would play well in some of these other states uh, that have a large suburban Republican presence. And then she won in a place like South Carolina that has a lot of populist Republicans. So, you know, I, I think then she'd be well, assuming she has the money and I don't know what her cash situation looks like, uh, she'd be well positioned. Of course, if she wins New Hampshire and South Carolina, the cash spigots are going to be wide open. So that's really, you know, if she does win that, I think, again, all bets are off. She could be the nominee. So that feels like La La Land talk, you know, the sort of uh, <laughs> the triumph of hope over experience. You mentioned Chris Christie. One of the things that was striking to me, so here's the scenario that I imagined. Chris Christie is there running, Donald Trump sucks! Donald Trump sucks! You all suck for not saying Donald Trump sucks! And uh, that's basically the, the bumper sticker description of his campaign. My theory is that his donors came to him and said, you're destroying the chance for Nikki Haley. Uh, we will never support you again for anything. And he's a reasonably young man, especially compared to the current crop we have in the White House and, and vying for the White House. We will we will never support you again unless you get the hell out. So one day he says, I'm not out. And suddenly the next day he's out like that. But then he ruins everything if their plan was for his votes to go to one of the other non-Trump candidates. What? Just give me your sort of theory about about Chris Christie. He he went out with a bang and behaved like a schmuck from New Jersey. Well, I mean, you just kind of summarized Chris Christie in a nutshell. I mean, and, and sometimes sometimes I love the the, the schmuck from New Jersey, but uh, <laughs> you know, he can be highly entertaining. But yeah, look, I, I think uh, you know what well, he had what we would call in Oklahoma come to Jesus moment with his uh, donors where. They basically said, I think you're right. They're like, this is it. Like, if there's if there's going to be a non-Trump Republican, it's not you. 
you gave it the old college try, you know, it's, t- it's time to move on if you want a future in anything. And, you know, Christie has always been kind of petulant, nasty, and, and sometimes it works, but uh, this time it really didn't. But I, I do think, you know, for whatever else, if, if it was the donors leaning on him or whatever, he got out just kind of in the nick of time, gave his voters time to reevaluate and reassess. We haven't had much polling since then, so we don't really know how it's playing out in New Hampshire. But, you know, it was already probably, uh, you know, low double digit, high single digit race. So, I mean, Haley really could win New Hampshire. We just don't have the polling to say one way or the other. Well, so Christie's advice to her and to DeSantis was really bad. I mean, he he basically was saying, I'm the only one who will attack Donald Trump. You guys aren't attacking Donald Trump. So therefore, you and saying he's unqualified for the presidency. And so therefore, you you don't deserve to be the Republican nominee. Anybody who's going to win the Republican nomination has to win over both. You can't win it with the anti-Trump Republican vote. You got to win over the soft MAGA voters who like Trump, but think he might not be the best candidate and are sort of peelable away from him. So going hammer and tongs against Donald Trump and saying he's unqualified is isn't smart political strategy. It's it? a terrible political strategy. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Look, you're, you're running in a Republican primary where Donald Trump has a, a, like 90 percent approval rating, you know, and I, I get it's probably cathartic to unload on the guy who, you know, you helped make his candidacy and then he didn't make you attorney general like, but. <laughs> you know, that's that's politics. Politics is a nasty business. So. So, yeah, I mean, he, he did a good job corralling the 10 percent of people who loathe Trump who are still in the Republican Party. But, you know, that's not enough to be the the nominee. And I think that became apparent quite quickly. Uh, I honestly I just I <laughs> I keep trying to think of questions that are going to force you to give me some news that makes me happy. And <laughs> And, and I, I'm sitting here struggling and struggling and struggling. So do we fundamentally know next week? Do we know what's going to happen? I, un, barring some unforeseen you know, tragedy that Donald Trump drops dead, which of course would be a tragedy. Mark's pulling faces at me. <laughs> did, I not, <laughs> did I not sound sincere enough there, Mark? Barring that, if he wins New Hampshire as decisively or pretty decisively, is it just all over? Yeah. I just muted myself and swore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, look, if you if you win the first two primaries, you're the nominee. I mean, I, I don't think that's ever not been the case. Um, I do think there is some genuine suspense about New Hampshire. Now, who knows? You know, as I drive in, maybe we'll get a, a dump of polls showing him up 30 points in New Hampshire. But, but based on what we've seen, you know, with the polling with Christie still in, yeah, you can absolutely see a path where where Haley gets Christie's voters and there's some turnout differential um, and she wins New Hampshire. You know, that that is not pie in the sky. That's like maybe a one in four chance. So let's talk about, you know, let's let's stay in La La Land and talk about who would be the, you know, I I think I, I know what I think the answer is, but who would be the strongest general election candidate against Joe Biden? Who are they afraid of? Because if you look at all the polling, I mean, there was the Wall Street Journal poll had her beating Biden by 17 points. And I think, you know, most of them are closer, but there's there's like at least three major polls that have her in double digits over Biden. And there was this controversy and, you know, DeSantis attacked her because there was a poll, uh, a CBS poll came out that said something like 43 percent of her voters would vote for Biden if Trump was the nominee. And like this, so see, she's she's a Democrat plant. It's like, no, she actually has crossover appeal. I mean, she could peel off Biden voters. I mean, <laughs> she seems like a no brainer if you want it, if you want a almost guaranteed win against the most vulnerable incumbent president in my, in either of our lifetimes. Doesn't she seem like just the shoe in if that was your standard? The answer is yes. But, you know, she's taken some stances that would come back to haunt her in the general election. Right. Like the Social Security stuff. I know that it's it's very popular at AEI. It's something that I think needs to be addressed, but it's general election poison, especially with the type of voters that Trump brought over, you know, working class people who kind of Social Security is their retirement. So, 
We don't know what those numbers look like as the general election comes out, you know, as her stances on abortions come center stage. But, you know, she doesn't have the baggage of Donald Trump and she doesn't have the personality of Ron DeSantis. So they all have their drawbacks for the general election. But, yeah, I think she's the strongest. So let's talk for a second about the general election. All of the talk of the town two months ago was no labels, Joe Manchin, donors want a Republican at the top of the ticket, Joe Manchin for VP, no Joe Manchin for president. Uh, You know, what are the prospects? All of that. Now, I know we've got a few scattered. I think I'm safe in saying that they're all nuts. No, no. uh, (laughs) Dean Phillips is not nuts. But the rest of them are certainly borderline. But what happened to no labels? Why is that buzz disappeared? Or am I just not listening? Or are they just not getting coverage? Or is that just no longer a thing? So I think the no labels strategy ultimately were to field a candidate wouldn't necessarily be to win outright. You know, there's an interesting article today by Selena Zito pointing out that for a third party candidate to either win or, you know, majorly affect the process, all it has to do is win a few states in a close election, because in that scenario, it goes to the House of Representatives. And at that point, all bets are off. You know, if no one gets a clean majority of the Electoral College, the House decides. And so that's kind of how no labels can probably be a player now look how how they're going to do it at this point you know it has to be because you're looking at someone who's going to have to raise a billion dollars uh in 10 months so it's going to have to either be someone who can self-fund uh or kind of an established political candidate but i think uh that's probably the way that that uh candidacy would have to play out so i've thought for a long time that no labels possibly this is a unique year where no labels would be viable as a third party in a way that it has no no third party has been for one thing you've got unprecedented dis- disapproval of the two major nominees if it's trump and biden seven and ten eight and ten people don't want a trump biden rematch and also you've got a unique situation where republicans could cross over because abortion's kind of off the table because of the dobbs decision and trump you know got six you know six three majority in the supreme court dobbs has sent it to the states and so there's less risk. The Supreme Court isn't like a lot of people voted for Trump because the Supreme Court is on the ballot and it doesn't feel like it's on the ballot as much right now. And so if you had a real bipartisan ticket with a, you know, maybe a Republican at the top, a, uh, you know, somebody like a Sununu, a Sununu mansion, senator, a governor, somebody serious as opposed to a military leader or a business leader or something like that. It's not something weird like that, that they would be a safe haven for people, you know, Democrats who don't want to vote, who aren't going to vote for Trump, but don't like Biden or Republicans who you know, don't want Trump, but aren't going to vote for Biden. You know, it, it seems like there's a could be, you know, the stars align in a way this year. What do you think? Is that crazy? I don't think that's crazy. If there's a year it's going to happen, it's this year. Right. And the part of the reason that Ross Perot caught fire was a similar situation. People didn't like George H.W. Bush. They didn't care for Clinton or didn't trust Clinton. You know, and the guy got 20 percent of the vote even after he dropped out because he said George H.W. Bush was trying to ruin his daughter's wedding with the CIA, right? Like he kind of came out, came out, he was a little bit nuts. Um, <laughs> you know, if he doesn't do that, I actually don't know what happens in 1990. And so, but the pro, the reason pro worked was that he was genuinely a nonpartisan candidate. And that's the problem with like a Chris Sununu is ultimately he has the R after his name. So I, I, it's tough. It's tough because at a certain point, if he's just another Republican, all he does is, you know, he doesn't take that many Democrats from Joe Biden's coalition. And, you know, maybe playing spoiler uh, is fine. Where it really gets tricky, though, is if if Joe Biden, you know, I don't think there's a really probably a route for winning the popular vote with no labels where it becomes interesting again is if if it's a close election And, you know, maybe Donald Trump is going to win with 330 electoral votes, but the no labels candidate is able to peel off, you know, uh, 40 of those electoral votes and send it to the House. Then you maybe have a situation where you can get a brokered uh, outcome, you know, where you get say, okay, we're going to put a Republican in as president. You know, the House will vote for the Republican. The Senate will vote for the Democrat for vice president. And then all bets are off. But it's just really tough to do it with a candidate with partisan labels, because ultimately those partisan labels are going to come to the forefront. 
But doesn't that put Trump in? Because the House would vote for Trump. I don't right? know. Well, it's done. It's done by so it's done by elect by state delegation, and it's the new House that does it. Um, so it's not clear Republicans are going to control a majority of the delegations, or the Democrats will, because there's some states that will have tied delegations. Wow. You know, and they're they're all you would need to do, even if you don't, is go to the members of the House from the states that the no labels candidate carried and say, look. Your state voted for the no labels candidate. You know, how are you not going to at least on the first ballot cast your delegation's votes for the no labels guy who won your state? Oh, my God. What a fiasco that would be. <laughs> oh, everything is such a mess. OK, exit question for me, Sean, because I know you've got to get to AEI's election watch. And that is these 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 trials. OK, some <laughs> of the some of the trials against and the charges against Donald Trump, you know, E. Jean, whatever her name is, Stormy Daniels, is those kinds of things. Even the New York case, frankly, about exaggerating the value of his real estate, all of those seem like rubbish cases. But there are a couple of serious ones in there. There's the January 6th case, and there's the classified information case in Florida, and there's the election interference one, although Fannie Willis seems to be screwing that one up. One would think that was quite easy, but apparently she she believes that, you know, she should mingle her personal and her political life. Okay, but bottom line up front, are any of these going to do anything but help Donald Trump. And that's my exit. You know, there, there was an ongoing joke during Trump's presidency. The walls are closing in. You know, every time something would drop that would seem to kill him, his supporters would be like, oh, no, the walls are closing in on him. And that's kind of how I feel about these trials at this point. It's like, yeah, of course, if he was like brandishing classified documents in front of and like showing kid rock chinese missile silos of course he should go to jail and not be president but you know i would have thought that you know sleeping with a porn star while your wife was pregnant would disqualify you for that matter i would have thought that you know sleeping with your intern um you know while while you're taking calls with you know yasser arafat would cause you to resign so all this stuff, like, I just don't, I feel like I'm in... Let me remind young people that was Bill Clinton. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like I am, like, maybe I'm the crazy one. But no, I, I don't, I'm not convinced that a conviction is going to do anything except convince his supporters and, you know, soft Republicans that they're out to get Donald Trump. You know, it doesn't help that he would be tried in the D.C. case in like one of the most <laughs> democratic jurisdictions in the country. I, in a way, I kind of think the Florida case is the most damaging because the story there is fairly straightforward. It's a swing jurisdiction, but that also raises the possibility that you just get a hung jury, that there's going to be a couple people that just refuse to convict, which would be a disaster for, you know, anti-Trump forces. So, Well, it's never going to dissuade Republicans against him, but I mean, this election is going to be decided <laughs> by, you know, a few thousand swing voters in five or six swing states. Yeah. So talk about Trump's prospects, because so you've got Joe Biden is the lead. And this is my exit question. This is the he's the least popular president in the history of presidential polling, going all the way back to Harry Truman. If you look at the 538 average, I mean, 11 points right now, less popular than Jimmy Carter at this point in his presidency. Uh, he's underwater on every single issue. Seven in 10 Americans think he's too old. They think he's incompetent. Uh, they don't think he can complete another term. And the Democrats are panicking because some of these polls are showing Donald Trump beating him in swing states and beating him in, in general election. But it's almost all of it's within the margin of error. I mean, shouldn't a Republican, a normal Republican nominee be crushing Joe Biden right now? And what does that say for the for his prospects in the general election? Yeah, I mean, this election is is the 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 resistible force versus the movable object. Right. Like neither of these guys should be able to win. But one of them's got to. Look, we shouldn't dance like, yeah, a lot of this is margin of error stuff. But when you get a bunch of polls that are within the margin of error, technically, but they also show the same outcome, that's more powerful. And I, I think the consistency with which Donald Trump has led, he's leading in swing states. We had a poll out of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution poll is typically good. You know, it's it's been close to on the money, doesn't have a strong bias. Had him up eight points in Georgia yesterday. Um, you know, it doesn't bring me great joy to say it, but if the election were held today, Trump would win and, and 
probably fairly handily. He's polling the best he has in his entire career as a presidential candidate. So, you know, what's it going to look like in November of this year? You know, after we have the trials, after he's, you know, gone on stage doing his Trump thing and insulted people he doesn't need to insult. And, you know, it's hard to say. And it shouldn't be close given how, you know, unpopular Joe Biden is. But it very well may not be close. Trump might win the popular vote by a few points in the Electoral College, as he would say, bigly. Well, on that bigly note, we should let you hit the road (laughs) because you have somewhere to be. And we are just grateful to you, as always, Sean, for sharing your insight with us and our listeners. There's no one better. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Sean. Take care. Drive carefully. All right. Bye. So, Mark, we're talking about the trees. Let's talk a little bit about the forest. What's going to happen in the general? Yeah, Donald Trump is the odds-on favorite to win the GOP primary. Iowa tightened his grip on the on the nomination. Uh, it's not over. We've got a country of 332 million people, and just 110,000 have voted so far. But uh, it's uh, it's looking like Trump will be the nominee. And I just think that you know, I just look at the polling and the only candidate, I'm a little bit despondent that it's just that Haley's not getting the traction she deserves because she's literally the only candidate who in multiple polls has double digit lead over Joe Biden. I I think if you look at the dissatisfaction with the two major party candidates, the first party that would figure out that if we just nominate somebody else, we'll win in a landslide, would win in a landslide. And yet it looks like neither party is going to do that. (laughs) Well, but I mean, the funny thing about this is for the Democrats, actually, I don't think that's true. I think if they nominate somebody else, the vast mass of prominent Democrats right now are actually unelectable. If you look at Gavin Newsom, if you look at all of the most prominent players on the Democratic scene... These are people who are not electable by by uh, an America that remains largely a center, maybe still even a center-right country. Not a chance. These people are way too far to the left. So I actually don't think that's true for, for uh, the Democratic Party. For the Republican Party, we actually have a bunch of candidates. Okay, yeah, I don't love all of them. I don't think they're all really great. But we've got Haley. We've got DeSantis. And the reality is right now the Republicans actually have a bench behind Donald Trump. So if you do lop the head off of the front runner here for the Republicans, you actually have a set of viable choices, which is not true for Biden. The problem for the general, look, I, I will tell you, everybody everybody who knows us and knows me knows that I am a horrible political prognosticator because I always let my hopes trump my experience. But right now, to me, famous, you told uh, you told uh, Tom Cotton he shouldn't run for Senate. Right, I, and, and and he and, and after he won, he listened to you. Well, after he won, he called me up and he said, "So you were the only one who told me that." I'm really glad I didn't listen to you. And I was like, indeed, indeed. Let everybody invest in exactly the opposite of what I say. But I will say this: I think once once push comes to shove. I think Joe Biden defeats Donald Trump. Now, maybe you're right, but um, and I know he's really unpopular. But as you so often remind me, this is not a choice between, you know, random person A and random person B. This is a choice between two very flawed, quite elderly individuals, both of whom are known quantities. I think the risk of Donald Trump uh, for the vast mass of Americans, his, you know, a redo of January 6th, a redo of of the drama and the capriciousness. It's like living under a more democratic Muammar Gaddafi. You just you, you don't want it. And my guess and my guess well that that was the word that I was always used to describe him was that he was extraordinarily mercurial. It was one thing one day, a different thing the next day. And of course the reason for that was he was clinically insane. But I don't think Donald Trump is clinically insane, but I do think that he is one of the most capricious people in American politics today. And so, and then there's the other risk that's going to get outlined if he is the is the nominee, which is that all of the people, all of the experienced Republican bench that was willing to work for him last time, the Bill Bars, the John Boltons, the people who are 
you may not like them, you may not respect them, but they are fundamentally normal with a capital N. None of those people are going to go work for Donald Trump. And so you got a bunch of the people who were left at the end, oh, the people who will. are now under indictment, the some cranks. Will. Some will. I don't <laughs> think so, Mark. There's the, I mean, yeah. Would you? Would you? Well, I didn't work for him the first time. <laughs> I, I like what I like, I like my independence. I like where I am. I like to uh, impact the presidency through my commentary. Uh, no, but, what you like is not having to have a legal defense fund, Mark. Yeah, well, there's that too. Look, I think on the Democratic side, I think you're 100% right. And there's a reason why Joe Biden is our president is because there was no viable alternative to Joe Biden, and there still isn't. Um, so you know, you've got a point on the Democratic side. You know, with Trump, I, you know, he could win. I think it's entirely possible. The, the way the country is going right now, people look and see that in, you know, right in 2019, before the pandemic, things were great. He was after he after he survived uh, his first impeachment, the Democrats were despondent. They thought that the election was over. Right. Um, he was popular. Uh, he was people were felt they were doing well. And then the pandemic came in and, and rocked things, and he, he had his response and all the rest of it. But I think that people will look, if he, if he can behave, he did a town hall on Fox News the other day where he was charming and restrained. And, you know, we had him on our podcast before the 2020 uh, election, and he was charming and restrained. And, uh, you know, we, we said at the end of that, uh, at, at the end of that podcast, if that was the Donald Trump we saw every day, he'd be cruising to reelection, right? If he can do that and people are as dissatisfied with the state of the country and they look back at his policies and they look at what they see there, he could win. Uh, He could be president again. Um, And so, you know, when you when you force people to choose between two alternatives they don't want, it's a binary choice and they have to choose. Right. Or they stay out and they vote with their feet, which is voting, because you're you're you're, if you would have voted for one party or the other, that you're effectively affecting the election by not voting. So. You know, the, it's a, it becomes a binary choice, and one of the parties is going to find out that their unpopular candidate is actually the president. And it could be Biden, it could be Trump. It's going to be much closer than it could, could be. If we chose differently in the Republican Party, I think it would be a landslide. I had a column in the Post the other day saying the the choice for Republican voters is: do you want a toss up or a landslide? Um, yeah, no, that was a great. They want a toss up. <laughs> We'll link to that piece uh, in the transcript. It's really a terrific one. Well, there's another shoe to drop pretty darn soon. We've got yep. five days until the five days until the New Hampshire primary. That, as we have said repeatedly today, is going to answer uh, a lot more questions. And I'm up uh, there, it's 24 uh, degrees there, so you know, literally. <laughs> Mark, as we record this, it is 17 degrees in Virginia, so I'm ready to race to New Hampshire. Well, it was minus 17 in Iowa, so that 24 degrees is balmy in the, for me uh, in uh, in New Hampshire. I'm ready to leave my long underwear behind and, and enjoy the weather. Okay, folks. On that inelegant note, that none of you wish to picture. <laughs> Let us say thank you for being with us. Don't forget that if you live in New Hampshire, get out there and vote and scrub that picture of Mark in his long underwear straight out of your brains. Take care. (laughs) See you next week. Let us know what topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing us at whatthehell at AEI.org. Or you can reach us on Twitter. I'm at D. Pletka. And I'm at Mark Thiessen. That's Mark with a C. Please rate and review the podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe, share it, comment on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to this. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 